While it's perfectly fine to appreciate the men and women God uses in our lives, we have to be careful not to elevate them to a place God alone deserves. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor to explain. We have a tendency to elevate man in the spiritual life, in church. We have a tendency to put men and women that God has used in our lives to serve us, to encourage us, to teach us the Bible, to extend grace to us. We tend to put them in places that they don't belong. Sometimes that's referred to as putting someone on a pedestal. And no man has ever been intended to put on a pedestal, ever. Never before and never in the future. All focus and attention, all glory and honor, and all worship must go to Jesus Christ. This is amazing grace. There are certainly some wonderful Christian leaders in our day, Franklin Graham, Greg Laurie, Chuck Swindoll, just to name a few. But I think it's safe to say that they would be the first to tell you that the ministry is not about themselves, but rather all about Christ. Jesus is so far superior to anyone else, and the book of Hebrews makes that abundantly clear. Today on Abounding Grace, we turn to Hebrews 3, where the writer explains how Jesus is greater than Moses in his accomplishments and in his position with God. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. I, I was greeting before service, and I came to a brother, and, you know, I'm just uh, checking in on him, how he's doing. He's usually here earlier, and he says, uh, hey, how you doing? I ask him, and he says, well, I'm hanging in there. And I know exactly what he means. It's been a hard week. <laughs> He's hanging in there. And he had, the, he had Wednesday off because it was a holiday, but then he had to go right back to work. And, and it's been, been a long, what he, what he does for a living is very hard, very difficult. And so he's hanging in there. You can see it on his face and, and you get that picture. And, and it's one of those moments where I, I, want, I should have told him in the moment, but it didn't hit me until the Bible study. And so I taught him, I, I shared this with him because he was in service last night during the Bible study. And, and, and I wanted to encourage him, if you feel like that today, like if you hold fast to the end and you're like, well, I'm barely making it in. I'm barely holding on. Well, just remember this. The emphasis is not you holding on to God, but God holding on to you. Who's going to snatch you out of the Father's hands, Jesus said. And it's just like when I was walking my kids across the street when they were young. I would, I would allow them, I'd give them, they would, they would hold me and I'd, I'd hold their, they could hold my pinky or I'd, I'd hold their hand, but I'd have them hold my pinky, let's go across the street. And if, if they lost grip or some crazy thing happened, I'm telling you in a millisecond, I'm going to grab their wrist and I'm not going to let go. So they can feel like they're holding on to daddy, but if there was a crisis, I would flip around and grab their wrist in a millisecond because dad's going to take care of his kids. Now, if an imperfect dad like me would take care of his kids, how much more our heavenly father who will not allow anything to snatch you out of his hands. The Holy Spirit in you has sealed you. He is the seal of redemption. Jesus has a greater ministry. We're his house. He purchased us. We belong to him. The house belongs to God. It's all his. There isn't anything that belongs to us. The house belongs to him. Jesus owns the house you and me and everything that we have. As a church family, this all belongs to God. The building, the carpet, the chairs, everything. 
You all belong to God. Your life, your house, your car, your money, your clothes, your mind, everything was designed by faith to honor and glorify Jesus Christ until he comes. It all belongs to him. None of it belongs to us. So much so that Jesus said, if you want to follow me, and of course all of us say yes and amen, the very first condition he places on us is what? Deny yourself. That is the key to victory in the spiritual realm, that we would deny ourselves, take up the cross, dying to ourselves daily, and follow him. See, Jesus is greater, but Moses was being elevated to a place that he didn't belong in their hearts. And can I just say that we have a tendency to elevate man and how careful we need to be. We have a tendency to elevate man in, in, our, in the spiritual life, in church. We have a tendency to put men and women that God has used in our lives to serve us, to encourage us, to teach us the Bible, to extend grace to us. We tend to put them in places that they don't belong. Sometimes that's referred to as putting someone on a pedestal. And no man has ever been intended to put on a pedestal, ever. Never before and never in the future. All focus and attention, all glory and honor, and all worship must go to Jesus Christ. But we do appreciate the men in our lives, don't we? I mean, I'm thinking as I go back and, and uh, spend some time at my home church and step in for my pastor, I love my pastor. I love that man. I am completely committed to serving him, loving him. I'm committed to watching his back. I'm committed to helping him any way I can. I love and appreciate that man. He's the man that God used to preach the gospel to me. He's the man that God used week after week to teach me the Bible and disciple me from the pulpit. He's the man that God used to encourage me along the way. He's the man that even to this day, I still listen to, I still watch services, I still podcast my pastor, I hear him on Grace FM. I love my pastor. I'm committed to him. He could call me right now. I wouldn't interrupt the sermon for it, but as soon as I'm done, I would call him back and he says, Ed, I need you here right now. I would get on a plane and go serve my pastor right now, right in the moment. I love him that much, but I don't worship him. He's just a man, an imperfect man. And I don't have false expectations on him either. I know he's going to make mistakes. And I know he's not going to be perfect. I respect him. And I honor him. You guys are in Hebrews. We're going to get to this later. But would you just turn to Hebrews 13 with me? Let me show you uh, this admonition that God gives us. I love and respect him, but I don't worship him. I love and respect him, but he doesn't have a place above Jesus in my life. Notice in Hebrews chapter 13 in verse 7. Hebrews 13, verse 7. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. And I think in another translation, it speaks of honoring them. And I'm committed to honor the men in my life that God has used. I'm committed to it. I, I want to express loyalty and commitment. And, and I want to make sure that is as the realm of Pastor Jeff and all the people in his life and all the ministry that Jeff and Karen have been a part of, that when my family is thought of and when my wife and kids are known in their lives, that they know that we are committed to serve them, to committed to, to, to walk alongside of them. I mean, the brother just turned 70. He's got about 45 years plus. I need to find the exact number. 45 years of faithful ministry. And countless people have been saved and sent out on the mission field and sent out to plant churches. Like, I want my pastor to know that, that I'm committed to him. I think of Pastor Chuck Smith. 
what a valuable man that he is in my life. That, that he was open back in the late 60s, he and his wife Kay, living there on the beach. That he was open, even though a little resistant, to be used of God to reach the unreachable, the untouchable, known as the hippies. Those that were drunk all the time and high all the time and checked out on life. But Jesus Christ died for them. And he was one, Pastor Chuck and Kay were a part of the work that God did in an outpouring of one of the last revivals we've ever seen. I can't wait to see the next one. But I appreciate I listen to Pastor Chuck almost every day. I wish I could say every day, but it's not every day. It's almost every day. I mean, I, I got his app. I've got the app. They put all this stuff available. And I mean, it's like, you know, my dad's in heaven. My mom's in heaven. My grandparents are in heaven. Even Pastor Chuck's in heaven. But when I hear Pastor Chuck teach the Bible to me, uh, Pastor Jeff could be considered my spiritual dad. And Pastor Chuck is my spiritual grandpa. And it's like grandpa teaching me the Bible. But I don't worship Pastor Chuck. When he was alive, he was an infallible man. He'd be the first one to admit it to you. But I love and appreciate him, and I respect him. And I pray in our relationship as pastor and church that, that I have earned your respect in serving you and teaching you the Bible. I hope, for those of you that do respect me and receive from me, I hope in my lifetime I never do anything to lose respect in your life, that I never disqualify myself, that I, that I never do something so dumb and stupid that would cause you to doubt God or to be upset. And even if I did make a mistake with you and I did in a place, maybe lose a little bit of respect, I pray that you would respect me enough, have enough to come to me according to Matthew 18, and let's make it right. That's what the Bible says. But I wouldn't expect you to elevate me. Don't. I wouldn't expect you to follow me with your eyes closed. No, we come to the Word of God, and God leads us by His Spirit. You don't worship man, just like these guys there. Moses is being put at this level, and we have to be careful. We don't follow man. We follow God. You guys with me on that? You don't follow man. You follow God. But we honor and respect the men that God has used in my life. I think of my friend Jack who invited me to church. I think of my friend Henry who spoke in the word in my life. My friend Tony. I think of the pastoral team. Of all the guys that have been here through the years. Like Jason here now or Ian or Matt or Aaron or on and on the list goes. I, I think of the gals in our lives that, that have served here over the years that have just spoken into my life and ministered to me. I love and respect them, but I don't worship them. Even the men in the church, like even the men in the Bible, I love and appreciate them, but we don't worship them. Jesus alone is worthy of our worship. And he's the final word on all things. Forever and a day, Jesus is the final word on everything as he's revealed himself to us in his word, not man. The audience being tempted backward it was a big temptation. One that's all in all of us. It may not be Moses, it might be someone else. That we need to keep our eyes considering Jesus. Considering Jesus. Let's close with this phrase. This is such a sweet phrase to me in verse 6. As Christ is a son over his own house, whose house we are. I'm so encouraged by that. Because it reminds us that the house of God is really a family. A family. All of us that trust in Jesus Christ, we are brothers and sisters in the Lord. In one place, in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, it speaks of us being adopted by God. A, a, the spirit of adoption, adopted as sons and daughters by God. And every one of you belong here as a part of the family. God has brought you here. You can say, I believe that you are here by the will of God. That God somehow connected you with this local fellowship family. And this is your family. But we are a family. And I think it's an appropriate descri description of the church as a family. 
Whether it's this church or that church or any church, we're a family. And I would say that we're a typical family, a normal family. Uh, You know, there's a lot of talk today in the world about dysfunctional families, as if there are some dysfunctional families and other families that aren't. Can I just set the record straight? Because of sin, everyone's in a dysfunctional family. It's just different how it looks. We, and, and you know, when we're sharing family issues and maybe a brother comes up and they want prayer and they're starting to share with their family and I say, no, 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 I don't need to know a whole story. Let's just pray. And one of the things I'll usually say, almost always is, just, just to give some empathy is, we all have families. We all have families. And what that means is we all have families and everything that comes with it. The difficulties, the stumblings. Like, like in any family, you're going to face frustrations In any church family, when you get a lot of people together, you're going to have friction and pain. Probably the greatest thing that will happen in a church family is you will be offended by someone. You will experience offense. If you haven't been offended yet, just wait. It's coming. You may be like me. I love this church. God called my family and I out from Southern California in 1999. We moved here, the five of us hoping that God would do a work and and we'd get to be a part of it. And boy, has he done a work and have we been a part of it. This is where my family grew up. My kids grew up. It's where my kids were discipled by the youth group leaders and the pastors here. This is where my family still attends. Praise the Lord for that. You know, when we were planning the church and it just started with the five of us, I knew I was in big trouble if only four showed up. Because that mean meant Marie went somewhere else. And I made the kids come with me and it never did get to that. But this is my family. I love this church. I love you guys. I love everything about this church. I love all the services. I love all that God is doing. I love the larger body. I love the smaller groups. I love the pastors. I love everything about this church. Some of the greatest joys I've ever experienced in my life have happened right here in this church. This is where my son was married, where I, grand, where I dedicated our, grand, our grandson to the Lord. This is where I've met so many wonderful people. This is where we've sent people off on mission trips. This is where we've ordained men in ministry. This is where we have been at the bedside of the sick and the dying, and we've comforted those. This is where we've extended grace and mercy. Some of the greatest experiences in my life would be too much to write down have happened right here in this church family. And some of the absolute worst pain I've ever experienced have come from this church family by people that used to sit in these very chairs. But it's all a part of it. In this world, you'll suffer tribulation, the Bible says. And we don't give up on Jesus because we've been offended or we've been hurt. The worst thing you could do when you're hurt in a church is to run away with unresolved conflict. That's the worst thing you could do, whether it's this church or knowing this is going out on the radio and hundreds of stations and knowing this is going out, podcasting, everything, no matter where you're at church, the worst thing you can do when you're offended is to sinfully run away. Because the Bible has given us insight on how to help resolve our problems. And that is, if your brother sinned against you, go to him, you and him alone, share the matter. If your brother hears you, you know what the Bible says? You have won your brother. That's the whole point. Love and forgiveness matched with repentance equals relationship restored. It's beautiful. And if the other person is unwilling to repent, that does not give you permission not to forgive. Forgiveness is a mandate for us. It's the only way you're going to be able to live with yourself. Why would you want to get caught up in all bitterness and anger? Because I'll tell you what, if you run away with unresolved conflict and you land in another church, you take all that junk with you. And now you're infiltrating another church with all your bad junk. 
But then you go to the church and go, oh, this is the best church in the world. This has everything that, you're nothing like my last church. They didn't do this, 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 this. And I'm just telling you right now, I'm warning you ahead of time. It's only a matter of time if you head off to another church and God hasn't called you there. All this unresolved stuff in your heart. It's only a matter of time where that church and that pastor becomes your last church and your last pastor. It happens over and over again because the problem is not exclusively the other person. You're a part of the problem. I'm a part of the problem in unresolved conflict. And we have to do our part in obeying God and giving room for the Holy Spirit. I pray you would love your church, that you express love, that, that in even the things that maybe, because it'll change your mind. When you walk into a church family, it'll change your mind. You won't be going, oh, they didn't do this for me. Oh, why are they doing this? Oh, another change. Oh, you won't be doing that. Instead, you'll be walking in going, oh, Lord, how do you want to use me? Who needs me today? Where will my gifts be used? I, I want to grow, God. How do you want me to be, express your life in the life of this world? And you'll show up to church in a body in your family, and you'll see what you can do for them. And it's the same in your own true family, in your own blood family. As your heart changes, you'll be saying, no, what can you, not, you won't be saying, what can you do for me? You'll be saying, man, I'm just so ready to serve you of all that God has done for me. What can I do? Even though there's frustrations, frictions, pains, it's still the church of Jesus Christ. There's nothing like it on the earth today. Nothing. This is the only group of people that God created and that he's still building and that he's promised never to leave or forsake us. It's so beautiful. When tough times come within the family, don't be surprised by them. Don't be stunned. There's going to be weaknesses and frailties, especially in a ministry like ours that really is a, is an, a ministry that is outreach, 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 where we want the lost to be saved. Our, our gathering isn't like this holy huddle where we just take care of believers all the time. There's a lost and dying world that God is equipping us for the work of the ministry. So what happens when a guy comes in and he's strung out or people come in with all kinds of lifestyles and all? What happens? Hopefully, you're going to express love and mercy to them. You're not going to be held back by religious traditions. You're not going to be held back by prejudice. You're not going to be held back by these preconceived ideas. But even in needed, you're going to speak the truth in love. And you're going to love people. It's the love of God, Paul said, that leads to repentance. And so we have filled, our church is filled. I'm so glad. You know, remember, my heart in pastoring is that I pastor a church where a guy like me 27 years ago could walk in and get saved because I was really jacked up, bad. It was beyond repair. There wasn't a human being on the planet Earth, myself included, that could have fixed me. And when I walked into a church not unlike this, people loved me, cared for me, taught me the Bible, called me a sinner, told me to repent. <laughs> here we are. And so that's pretty much what we are. We love you. We encourage you. You're a sinner. Repent. That's just the way it is. And it's no small thing, the love of God, the family of God. And I know I don't speak lightly of the hurts that are in this room because of the church, maybe even because of this church. I don't speak lightly. I recognize that. I acknowledge it. But God is the great healer. And he hasn't failed you. Even if God's people have failed you, God hasn't failed you. And so you just submit yourself to the Lord. I mean, think about this for a second as we leave. The reward for a perfect life, a perfect ministry, perfect teaching. I mean, Jesus was perfect in every way. 
And how was he rewarded? They crucified him. And as we'll see later on in our studies in Hebrews, one of the exhortations to continue on is that, you know what, you haven't resisted sin unto bloodshed yet. You haven't, you haven't resisted to the place where Jesus was yet, so keep going and trusting. The church is so many wonderful things. A church, a family that functions, a family that follows, a family that feeds on the faithfulness of God. You know, the church is the bride of Christ. The church is the pillar and the ground of truth on the earth today. And the church is a family. And we all have families. And Jesus died for this family and for this city and for this state and for this world. Until our last breath, we need to go for it. We need to go with the gospel. We come to be built up and we go. And I pray that the Lord sends you out as missionaries today. We've been in the book of Hebrews today on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is leading us verse by verse through the epistle. Would you like to hear today's message again? You can listen online 24-7 at AboundingGraceRadio.com or hear us through Apple Podcasts. Another way to go is to download our church app and Grace FM Colorado app. Do a search for Calvary Aurora. You'll find Abounding Grace right there as well as many other helpful resources. Pastor Ed, in today's lesson, you explained that while it's okay to love and appreciate the people in our lives that God uses, we need to be careful not to elevate them to a place God alone is worthy of. So I was just thinking of those times when we're really blessed by what our pastor had to say in a sermon, and we want to tell them. Can you give us an idea of how we might phrase that so we can express our appreciation without taking things too far? You know, Larry, I can. Uh, thank you so much for asking that question because I want to. It gives me the opportunity, really, to differentiate between what's going on in a person's heart and the need to express appreciation. So let me just start by saying, if the Lord has blessed you and encouraged you and helped you and strengthened you and taught you through your pastor, tell them, please tell them. Tell them after a service. Tell them in emails. Tell them with phone calls or voice messages. Write a note to them. Uh, get them gifts, gift cards. It doesn't have to be much, but express your appreciation. And that's to the teacher that's teaching you, The in some cases the senior pastor, but it's also the assistant pastors. And it's also think of their kids and think of their wives and express appreciation. I know that not too many years ago, I think it was focused on the family, but someone started October as a pastor's appreciation month. And and it's good and not good at the same time. It's too bad that it's relegated just to one month. Uh, but the good part, I guess, is, is that at least there's some emphasis in part of the year. But please, 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 the most important part of this question is tell your pastor. Tell him every week if you need to. Tell him uh, every month, whenever the Lord is using him, he gets so much negativity, so many complaints that an encouragement will go a long way. Now, to the part of elevating or even worshiping, look, that's a hard issue. And expressing appreciation or thanksgiving is, isn't the same thing as you know considering that your pastor never says anything wrong or never makes any mistakes or is anywhere near God. He's not. Or... So it, it's a hard issue that you have to guard your heart because you will have appreciation and you will just so be blessed by the men that God's put in your life. Um, but don't let that ever stop you from expression appreciation and just guard your heart. 
Um, be careful to remember he's a man. He, he isn't floating six, six inches off the ground. He makes mistakes. He experiences life just like you do. The only difference is he has a different role in the body of Christ that puts him front and center in so much spiritual warfare and difficulty. So please, if anything, express appreciation. It's from the Lord. Good stuff there. Thanks, Ed. Where in the world did that come from? Maybe that's crossed your mind when you've had a nasty thought. And sometimes our thoughts are out of control along with our lives. But I'm happy to say there is a way to win the war in your mind. Craig Groeschel lays out the strategy in his book, Winning the War in Your Mind. Drawing from scripture and the latest findings of brain science, Craig presents practical strategies that will help free you from the grip of harmful and destructive thinking and go on to live the life God intends for you to live. Request a copy today when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more by calling 877-30-GRACE. And please set aside another half hour to join us tomorrow for Abounding Grace when Pastor Ed Taylor digs deeper into the book of Hebrews to mine its treasures. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.